You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibley, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's alive. Alive! It's Mr. Jeff McLarge-Huge. I am, in fact, alive. Last time I checked. Hold on, let me take my pulse. Jeff? Uh, Jeff? Hold Jeff! on. <laughs> I am alive. Good to hear. Yes. What's going on? How are you? Uh, you know, I'm all right. I, I can't complain too much about anything right now. So today, uh, as we are recording, no big secret that we don't record these things in real time. Uh, we right. record these many weeks in advance. But today, in real life, in real time, is a big red letter day because today was my brother's last day of work. My brother oh. is retiring. Yeah. Wow. Josh, to think he was just a couple of years ahead of me in high school and he's retiring, man. Yeah, well, I mean, he's a, was, I should say, a police uh, police officer, retired mm-hmm. as a lieutenant. You don't have to wait until you're 65 whenever you have those kind of jobs. So it's he true. was, yeah, he's 33 years on the force, plus he did some time before that as a dispatcher. So, yeah, he's got the years, he's got the time, he's got the pension, he's got the wow. beer, he's out of there. Good for him. He's gone. Well, that's yep. great. Congratulations. I'm yeah. super glad to hear that you you made it to the end. You won. You completed it. Yeah. The, your your name is AAA at the top of the high scoreboard. <laughs> no, what's interesting is he is the first male in our bloodline to retire. My father died before he was of retirement age. And my grandfather died. He wasn't even 50 yet. So Right, right. Yeah. My brother is the first one to retire. So he broke the curse. Yeah, he broke. He crossed the finish line. So there's that. That's cool. That's good. He and you have like long. You guys are both like in the same place for a long time of employment, right? It's yeah. You guys are both lifers. Yeah, have that sort of career track for towards retirement. Unlike me, who hop skips and jumps, and I'm, I'm probably going to die at a keyboard someplace in a cube, going like, I can still do the job, sir, and then <laughs> clunk, dead. Yeah, I got like, well, I know my job backwards and forwards. I, I have a lot of freedom and creativity in what I do. And mm-hmm. the money's okay, so I don't really see any need to, to jump. Not at this point. Who knows? Because we record this so far in advance, who knows what happens in the uh, next coming weeks. Uh, you know what my brother did do that I thought was really, really, really cool is there's a long-standing tradition in professional wrestling and Norman and I are both huge wrestling fans. But there's a long-standing tradition that when a wrestler retires, he takes off his wrestling boots and he leaves them in the ring. So as my brother was leaving work this morning, he took off his boots and he put them wherever it was in the police department. And he took a picture of his boots. And, uh, he put his boots the... back on before he left because it was chilly out this morning. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't <laughs> want the guy to get cold feet. 
I would hope so. Yeah. Or he brought a change of shoes like Mr. Rogers. So what's he going to do this time? I know his uh, one of his hobbies is helping uh, teaching kids and mentoring them as they learn to play Dungeons and Dragons. And he's also a pretty accomplished writer. Yes. So he's got now he's got plenty of time for both of those things. I sincerely hope that he continues with the Dungeons and Dragon thing, uh, simply because one, I think that's awesome and super cool, and two, I bought him a bunch of a Dungeons and Dragon stuff for his birthday, which will air, which will happen before this episode airs. So no spoilers. Hi Norman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then also, I'm assuming he's going to do a lot more writing. Uh, I know he says he wants to do way more fishing. Fishing is something he's always enjoyed. It's just that, like myself, he's a workaholic. You know, he works Mm -hmm. a lot, so he never really had time to fish. Right. I know he wants to do more fishing. So, well, that's. I mean, that's cool. Yep, that's what he's planning on doing. Um, That's what all retired people do. Now I've got plenty of time to go catch fish. I don't want to sit around the house and do nothing. I want to sit outside and do nothing. And wait to see if I catch a fish. Yeah, oh, I it's sit too small and, to keep. Yeah, I want to sit outside and wait to do nothing. Right. <laughs> but no, I, I, fishing's never been my thing. I'm way too fidgety for that. But my brother, he used to go, we used to go with my parents all the time. And then eventually they used to just drop me off at my grandmother's house because I was way too fidgety for fi- uh, for fishing. There's no yeah. sitting still in my blood. Uh, no, not for me. Even still, as they say. Oh, no, yeah, even now. No, absolutely not. All right. Uh, so fishing's never been my thing, Mr. McLarge Huge. Drinking alcoholic beverages are not really my thing, although there was five years in my 20s where I did. Right. You you don't abstain like I do. Not that I abstain, but you know what I mean. I don't, I, yes. I don't drink. You, you drink yes, Just say it, often. Bill. Don't, you don't drink to excess like yeah. Jeff McLarge Hughes does. You, no, that's not true. I don't do that a, either. I, you're a blithering alcoholic, aren't you? <laughs> I, I, do like a, I do like a tipple now and then, as they say. Uh, but no, you're more of a beer or wine guy then, though, right? Yeah. Hard alcohol and me don't mix. Yeah. If I, if I drink hard alcohol, there's very likely that you'll hear a sentence like, You can't arrest me. I took Taekwondo. <laughs> so, right. so you said that hard alcohol and you don't mix. But if you mix nope. hard alcohol with other things, you have what is known as a cocktail. Mr. Yes. McLarge Huge, this week's okay. very popular and always well-received trivia question is simple. What is the most popular cocktail in the world? Well, I guess at the end of the show, I yep. will tell you the answer. Right. So this is the week beginning February the 6th. And uh, because I've had too much to drink right now, <laughs> uh, we'll let you start. All right. February 6th, 1978. Mm-hmm. A snowstorm hits New England and drops 54 inches of snow in like two days. It, oh. is, it has come to be known as the blizzard of 78. What year was that? Yeah, night. <laughs> 1978. God, it makes me feel like I've been drinking. Uh, I remember it really well. Yeah. I remember my dad and all of like the teenage boys and us. He had us all outside like shoveling the street enough so that plows could get down to, to take snow because it was so deep. Yeah. That the plows couldn't get down the street. What'd you say? 54 inches? 50, 54 inches. Yeah. That's four and a half feet of snow, dude. Yeah. It was taller than my head. Yeah. It's still uh, almost taller than my head. And it wasn't just New England either. That uh, Blizzard of 78 f***ed up Chicago too. I don't remember. I remember it hitting us. Yeah, well, I mean, it had a long breath. 
But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we're gonna remember it because we live here. But my friends in Chicago, you know, they talk about it as well. It, it hit them mm. like a couple of days earlier. Um, but I mean, it hit us way worse. So, I mean, we were shut down for over a week. Yeah. I, remember, I remember not going to school. I remember, that was pretty awesome. And I remember the story my mother telling where they were like trying to shovel the driveway. And by the time they got to the top of the driveway, the back end of the driveway was already full again. Right. It was snowing that heavy. It came down. It wasn't just a long snowstorm. It was a heavy snowstorm. It came down. It piled up fast is what I'm trying to say. It had winds of up to like 35 miles an hour, which is a ton of wind if you're if you're dealing with you know fast falling snow. Right. Because that's going to rip down power lines like at that with that. Oh yeah, rate. yeah. Take down power lines like pile up against people's doors so they can't get out of their houses and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. I remember being picked up from school just as that storm was starting. Yep. And brought home early, and then school was canceled or school was canceled and my uncle came and picked us up. It was, I can't remember because I was, again, at elementary school. It was something else. There's a woman that I work with who actually gave birth during the uh, the blizzard of 78. And the National Guard, I don't know what they had, a tank or if they, like, lifted her, like, <laughs> in a helicopter, like, with one of those, like, right. cow carriers or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, she had to get picked up by the National Guard and brought to the hospital because, yeah, she was going into labor during the, uh, the blizzard of 78. It was crazy. I mean, I remember the pictures of cars like just trapped on the highway and mm-hmm. with snow up to their roof lines almost. Whenever I went out to Cincinnati for Thanksgiving, their big lake effect blizzard where they had like, I don't remember, it was like five, six, seven feet of snow or something. It was something mm-hmm. ridiculous. That was my plan of attack to drive home was to drive home through upstate New York. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get through, but thankfully right. they, they cleared it out of the way by then. And then Buffalo got hit in the time of our recording, pretty hard last week. 1978 was a banner year that we all talk about, but I think 2022 and 2023 are going to... Give it a record. run for its money. Yeah, yeah, people will be talking in 40-some-odd years, some other ding-dong will be doing a podcast and talking about it. So. <laughs> it's a blizzard of 2023. Yep. 68 inches in two days, you know. Yep. All right, so moving on to February the 7th. February the 7th of 1988 was the debut of a television show called America's Most Wanted. I remember that show. Yeah, it was probably, they should go down in history, it's probably the last time reality television was actually worth (laughs) something worth watching. It was a mix of reality television because the subject matter they dealt with was real. Yeah. But I remember that show having a lot of... Dramatizations. Yeah, Yeah. dramatizations and reenactments that made up the bulk of the program. Yeah, that's uh, an argument to be made, I guess. Not even an argument, a counterpoint. Yeah, it was hosted by a guy named John Walsh. Uh, His son, Adam Walsh, was uh, like kidnapped and murdered. Yeah, that show was on for a very, very long time. Yes. I guess there's a a guilt in canceling the show at that point. I'm sure. Yeah, but the, the show helped to capture, like, 1,200 fugitives, including the kidnappers of Elizabeth Smart. Yeah. That was a famous kidnapping in uh, the early knots. They definitely did good work, and it was the rare time that something that was a profitable entertainment program mm-hmm. also, in some way, served the public good. It, it doesn't happen very often. Right. And, gosh, I don't know that it spun off into anything other stations that tried the same thing. I think it was so unique because of John Walsh's experience that it couldn't be duplicated in other markets in a way that 
would have been successful. Stuff like Unsolved Mysteries, different networks and things tried, you know, sort of went that way. Right. Where they focused on true crime and other things, but not the same way that you were looking for. Every week on America's Most Wanted, they showed you that these are the 10 most wanted people in the United States. It was right. like going to the post office and looking through the posters, you know, at the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they shuffled their cards pretty well. I mean, it wasn't like the top 10. It wasn't like, all right, here's another show about Whitey Bulger, you know. No, but they always showed like the, at the end of the show, it was always yeah. like, and these are the, you know, for this week, here are the most wanted right. in the United States. And it was it was crazy. To, yep. see, to see that and people were you know keeping an eye out for them and it's it's hard to run and it's hard to hide if you're if your face is on national tv right somebody's bound to turn you in and collect some cash snitches get riches snitches get riches <laughs> all right what do we go for the eighth for the eighth 2010 music television or mtv the foundational element of both you and i's childhood and adolescence yep drops the name music television from its logo uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, much to the chagrin of Generation X. Much to the dismay of people from our generation, indeed. Yeah, to that's... Me, that's like I a, don't care, but... Yeah, I mean, whenever I see posts like that, it's like it's like somebody's still whining about their ex-girlfriend from high school. It's like, get over right. it, dude. All right, yeah. They still listen to the same Def Leppard tape they bought in 1988. All right, you know? I get it. MTV doesn't show music videos anymore, blah, blah, blah. Even if they did, you wouldn't watch it. Right. It's not like you put it on in the background and do stuff in the house like in the olden days. Right. <laughs> like when we were growing up, it was like a substitute for radio. Only The radio station only had 108 songs. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not like I went to the TV and put on channel 22 and like, God oh, damn it, they're not showing music anymore. Right. Oh, when are they going to bring music back? Blah, 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 blah. Shut up. <laughs> well, I think, I think what happened is they realized that by producing – low-cost, high-visibility reality TV, for real reality TV, yep. uh, was a lot less expensive than it was paying for the rights to show music videos on their channel because the model had changed. I'm sure it was before 2010 where record companies weren't making videos and saying, here, put this on the TV so that we can sell more records. Right. They were saying, hey, do you want to see the video from John Cougar Mellon Camp? It's going to be $753 a month. Right. You know? But also, um, also, what's going to change in their uh, in their business model is they're showing stuff like you know sixteen and pregnant, and that's getting crazy ratings. And then they're going to show a two hour block of music videos, and the ratings go way down. Of course, they're going to go with what's generating revenue. It's a business model. That too, and pop music really started to fracture mm. in the two thousands. So. I can remember that there were multiple music channels for a while. There was MTV, M- M2, there was yep. VH1, there was Palladia, which was, was a live, live music concerts. channel. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was all live concerts, but it sometimes because a live concert might run 46 minutes. Yeah. It would be four, you know, like 46 minutes, and then they'd show 15 or 20 minutes of videos and then go to another live concert. VH1 okay. used to kind of do that sometimes, too. Like that's where I found bands like The National and several others because they still had music videos that they would play, but it was in between other things to fill space. Yeah, and MTV just never had that because they had blocked their schedule out with so much timed, you know, thirty minute or whatever reality programming. And in that, like, what do you show for videos? Do you show like the sort of Cardi B side? Do you show the like the pop country side? Do you try and show both? You're not going to have audiences for both. Are you going to show stuff like yeah. metal? Like what? Like where? Where do you draw the line? At what? And they didn't segment 
it often to things like 120 minutes or the headbangers ball or yeah like you said music had become so fractured at that point you add rock you add heavy metal you add alternative and then now alternative splits off into different fractions and metal splits off to different fractions and rap splits off into different fractions like we'll talk about later and yeah it's impossible it became impossible to make everybody happy so in the process they make nobody happy so and it's then, easier for them to say, like, ah, music, uh, we're just MTV. It's like Sci-Fi Channel. We're now, now we're just a collection of random letters yeah. that remind you that you used to be able to watch science fiction on cable TV. All right. Uh, let's move on to the 9th. February the 9th, 1979, Walter Hill's <laughs> drama, drama film, The Warriors, is released in the United States, sparking gang violence at many movie theaters and half of the... And a halt to the film's marketing campaign. I call bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I also call bullshit. I don't remember that at all. I remember there were concerns that there would be gang violence at the film The Warriors. But, you know, the same thing where there was concern that there would be, like, a violence of some kind at friggin' Crush Groove or Breaking 2 or... Oh, and they thought was there that- was going to be, more recently, they thought there was going to be... A bunch of violence at the whenever that Joker movie came out, right? And yeah, the only, exactly. the only violence they would have got from that would be me at the ticket booth demanding my goddamn money back. <laughs> it's easy to have a moral panic over something, and, and this I don't country know why. is great for that. This country we are is we are very amazing. Good. That's for like that. that's like part of our gross domestic product is moral panics <laughs> over that's un- unnecessary. I remember when the film came out and it was a big deal because. The protagonists were also gang members. Yep. Like, as if this country hasn't had enough films about, like, <laughs> renegade gunslingers in the 1940s and 50s and the, you know, the boom of Western films and stuff. Yep. And ultimately, if you were to go back, look at the structure of the Warriors, it's pretty much the same as Stagecoach. I don't know if you've ever seen Stagecoach, but. I have not. Stagecoach with John Wayne's first, like, real film as he was the star. Yep. Is a lot like this film. So. I don't know. Well, well, that movie 300 has almost got the same structure to it as well. Yes. And what's hilarious about The Warriors, it was based on a book. And in the book, the gangs are, you know, primarily African-American. In the movie, almost nobody was. Right. And one of the members of The Warriors was. uh, Yeah. They Uh, were integrated. They were the only they were the only gang that was integrated in the whole film. Well, and the guy there at the beginning, there, the can you dig it guy. And then he gets killed. Oh, I can't think of his name. He had a cool name too. Yeah, it was like it, the Warlock or something. It'll it'll come to me. I'll be like halfway through the like the the birthdays, and I'll just yell it out randomly. But like all the gangs in the movie were like cartoonish. It was like the World Wrestling Federation of the 1980s, where they had like wrestling plumbers and stuff like that. All the gangs, <laughs> all the gangs in the Warriors were like hilarious, hilarious. Yeah, there a, like there was the what the gang that was all. That was dressed in like where the painted faces in the baseball uniforms, right? The, the Furies. baseball Furies. Yeah, there was the gang on roller skates. Yeah, and a bunch of farmer jeans, and then the, like the leader of that gang was like head and shoulders shorter than everybody when he was on roller skate. That was a tiny dude. It was ridiculous. It was it was a gang movie as if it was written by somebody who'd never done anything but write Hollywood screenplays from about 1958. Until right. that movie was contemporary. And people who have nothing better to do with their lives went ape shit over right. it. You know what's really, really funny about the gangs and the warriors and the, the whole like premise of it? 
I don't know how gangs worked in the 1970s. I was too busy, right. you know, watching Star Wars movies. Right. Uh, or whatever. What I thought was curious whenever I watched the Warriors as an adult is all of these gangs didn't sell drugs. And that's typically what gangs do and why there's gang turf because that's the turf where they sell drugs. These guys were just gangs for the sake of being gangs and beating the crap out of one another. There's always been a component of, you know, gangs are territorial and... It's all the teenagers and stuff that live in a particular neighborhood. They're protecting themselves from teenagers in another neighborhood. And sell drugs. They all, <laughs> they, all they all dress up like baseball guys, and they you know um, roller skate around and and oh yeah, and stuff. we had I, me- I remember we had the Sat Squatch gang in my neighborhood, <laughs> who all dressed <laughs> yeah. up in big furry costumes. Yeah, and my mine we had the the grumbling Vavos, and it was uh, all the all the all the, all the old widows all dressed in black that were eighty years old and would walk around together back and yeah. forth up the street all day. And then we had the Loch Ness monsters, and all you had to do was just stay away from the water, and you'd be safe. It was cool. Right, exactly. Don't get any closer. <laughs> At any rate, this sort of same sort of dumb, dumb moral panic still goes on, depending sure. on what films are coming out. I, I think COVID probably put a damper on some of it because everything was streaming, and nobody cares if you watch a movie about gangsters in your house. But yeah, God forbid you go out in public and watch it. Right, right. It's been way more likely that people would be upset about films that have a lot of sexual content in it. And no one really cares that there's, like, tremendous, unbelievable violence in the movies that we have today. And one of the concerns with the gang stuff in The Warriors was like, oh, my God, it's so violent. Everyone's going to learn that they can be violent. They'll be stabbing each other with stick knives. And dressing up like baseball players. Right. He's like, I caught my son dressing up as a baseball player. And I realize he plays Little League, but he also might be in a gang. <laughs> All right, let's go on to the 10th. Yes. All right, February 10th, 1943. Less gang-related and more ceiling boxes-related. Duct tape is invented, and it's invented as a way to seal the packaging that's going to the Pacific Theater in World War II because the other tape that was being used, one, wasn't waterproof, and two, the heat would make it so that the boxes would open. Ah. Duct tape is pretty good at holding boxes together. Yeah. It was originally called, I mean, we colloquially call it duct tape, like quack, quack. Yes. But it's actually duct tape, D-U-C-T. Uh, right. It was actually originally called duct tape. Duct tape. Because I guess the noise it makes whenever you tear it off sounds like a yeah, duck it, quacking. The, the noise you make when you pull it off the roll, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like a quacking sound, yeah. Right. And what's hilarious about calling it duct, D-U-C-T, duct tape, is that stuff is amazing for everything except duct work. It's awful for duct work. It's like probably the last thing you want to use. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't stick well and it leaves residue and uh, it leaks. Yeah, I guess when yeah when it's exposed to humidity, it's it loosens up. Right, but I mean, if you want to send boxes to the Pacific Theater, that's the stuff you want to use to seal them. And if you want to make rock star pants in the 1990s, like I did, <laughs> and still have, I still have a pair of pants that. Uh, whenever I was doing bands for our Halloween show, a couple of us had all made pants out of black duct tape. And, uh, uh, yeah, I still have them. I still fit in them, too. As a father of uh, two people who were children in the early 2000s, yep. the loving crafting of duct tape wallets was like an activity that they both did a ton for a long time. And I still, for the love of me, do not understand what the hell the appeal was. They would make duct tape wallets as like, oh, we just make duct tape wallets. Like, d- don't you already have a wallet? I don't understand. And I have 100 know? wallets in my house, and they're all gray. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> what happens if I have to seal a duct or ship something to the Pacific Theater? 
<laughs> I don't know. I mean, every generation is going to have something that they do, like friendship bracelets and whatnot. Can you guys so. join a gang? Yeah. You know? I'll get you some skates and some overalls. (laughs) All right. So moving on to February the 11th of 1967, the rock band, the Monkees, make an announcement that going forward that they're all going to play their own instruments on their future recordings. At which point in time, Davy Jones said, "Uh, uh, uh, we're going to what now? (laughs) The only instrument I know to play is maracas. That's all right. And a tambourine. Don't worry. We've got you covered. Yep. That was right after where they had been able to usurp the power of Don Kirshner and get him removed from the band. Yep. And then they they worked with Chip Douglas. Now, they played them. all the instruments like on headquarters. That was like their probably their one and only solo album, I guess you could call it, where it was strictly them. All right, so yeah, I'm looking at the uh I'm looking at the personnel of headquarters right now. And there's a couple of extras, an extra people on here, here and there. But mm-hmm. yeah, it is, it is actually mostly the monkeys on that album on headquarters. Davy Jones, they got a, a down as vocals, percussion, which could be anything. But right. uh, your I'm friends in sure mind, tambourine. <laughs> your friends in mind, uh, Michael Nesmith and Peter Torque, they got all sorts of stuff. You know, mostly guitars, but also organ, bass, banjo. Peter Torque was a monster, dude. That could play, guy could play anything. Yeah, he was definitely super duper talented. So so was Mike Nesmith. Yeah, and Mickey Dolan's they got him down as uh, one of the instruments he plays is a zither. Yes, it's a weird string instrument. I can't even describe what it looks like. It looks like a guitar without a neck on it. Yes, it's like somebody stole half of your guitar. So that was like a big controversy. I know we talked about the monkeys plenty of times, but it was like a big controversy that the monkeys weren't an quote-unquote actual band. They were actors meant to play a band. But Mike Nesmith and Peter Tork were some serious musicians and they wanted to make their own music. And I guess they were willing to drag Mickey Dolenz and Davy Jones along for that ride. And they also wanted the ability to write their own songs. So earlier in, I think it was 66, Mm -hmm. Mike Nesmith had gone to Don Kirshner and the other producers... Bob Raffleson and I forget the other guy's name. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, I wrote this song. It's I've already s- sort of sold it off once and it did really well. We should do it. And the song was called Different Drum. And he played it for them and they said, ah, you know, that's not really a monkey song. And he's like, what the f*** do you mean it's not a monkey song? I mean the monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he ended up selling it to Linda Ronstadt and it went to number one ah. for her band, The Stone Ponies. So because, because of that, yeah. he had enough pull with the record company to argue that, you know, maybe we kind of know what we're doing. So the record that they came out with, Headquarters, produced by Chip Douglas. Chip Douglas was the bass player in the Turtles on the Turtles' Happy Together record and the Battle of the Bands record. And it was Mike Nesmith that brought him in as producer. And, you know, Chip Douglas is a really, really good producer. He produced Happy Together and he produced Eleanor for the Turtles. And those songs both went to number one. And he definitely helped the monkeys as they transitioned out of the shadow of Don Kirshner and ultimately of the television show too. They outgrew the show. I think before they outgrew their record career for sure. Yeah. They put out a couple more albums. So there was that Capricorn and and Jones that you just mentioned. There's also the birds, the bees and the monkeys. Monkeys, And then they went out and did that head movie. Yes. Which has one of my favorite monkey song on it called porpoise song, which I think I brought this up before. It sounds a lot like Pink Floyd before Pink Floyd sounded like Pink Floyd. Yes. They set that ball, you know, rolling. 
And it wasn't long after Head that the monkey started to splinter. Peter Tork had left after the movie, and then they just kind of dissolved slowly after that. I think it was, yeah, the last, I don't know what you call it, the Shawa era, if you have Japanese monster movies, but the 1960s, early 1970s, it was uh, the last one, I think, was uh, Mickey Dolan's and, and Davy Jones together. Yeah. With uh, Boyce and Hart. And I don't remember what the last record they did was, but it was I think it was just them. Right. And now, I mean, they're all gone now except for Mickey Dolan's, but he's out yeah. there still and performing as Mickey Dolan's performing the songs of the monkeys. And God love yeah. him. Keep going. Yep. Yes. So, as long as people want to buy tickets, keep doing it. That's what I say. That's I also say the same thing. All right. And wrap up the week. February 12th, 2004. Mattel announces that Barbie and Ken were breaking up. Wait, what? Say that again? February 12, 2004. Yeah, I got that Mattel, part. Mattel, the toy company, yep. announced that Barbie and Ken were breaking up. Oh, f*** you. <laughs> <laughs> the Why? dolls had met on the set of their first commercial together in 1961. This is to pander to, I don't, pander is probably not the right word, but I'm going to use it anyway. Mm. This is to pander the people in our generation who grew up with these toys Yep. And still inflict them on children today. Right. Oh, I want you to have this Barbie doll because I loved Barbie dolls when I was a little girl. Except now there's they have to have a backstory and they have to have plot line or the parents believe the kids won't know what to do with them. Right, you know? right, right. Like, yeah, you're it's like a freaking doll. Now you're forcing your children how to play with them, yeah. Right, I it's mean, like, well, Barbie's, it? like yeah. it's, it's Barbie dressed like a stewardess or an airline hostess or what? In nineteen sixties, we're talking. Yeah, the, like it's not hard to figure out what you're gonna do to play with it. Yeah. As so think, much, at least to, to to stimulate to your imagination. But like to you know, when the doll comes with a seven page book and a timeline of like romance, right? Romance and relationships, like a, enough. Yeah, what's Barbie gonna do? Date the other guy? There was no other guy. This kid, GI Joe. Yeah. Now, she likes I, his facial hair. <laughs> I mean, obviously, this is like a marketing thing just to like reinsert Barbie into the zeitgeist. Mattel can't continue to make money if they're selling them just to like 55-year-old collectors. Yeah. And you also, know? you said this is like 04. I don't remember what yeah. year the Aqua album came out. I think that was a little <laughs> early, right? 97? <laughs> yeah, I think it was 97. So I think the fame just went to Barbie's head and she's like, you know what? I'm a strong, independent woman. And she told Ken to kick rocks. Kick rocks right. with your weird plastic feet and no balls. Well, let's see if, you know, Ken, let's see if uh, a Swedish synth pop band is going to do a song about you. Yeah. I don't think and they you are. Know what? <laughs> they aren't. I, I'm, I feel dumber for even talking about it. <laughs> yeah, it makes two of us. You know who I blame for this sort of stuff, though? Well, I blame George Lucas. I, not George Lucas personally, but like the impact that he had on toys and with, the, with his marketing of the Star Wars toys through Kenner after licensing the characters out because so many of those things came with like specific playsets that were part of the sh movie series okay so you, but yes so you'd no. be like oh i guess i can play hoth yeah with the hoth battle set yeah but i you mean know? you had star wars figures didn't you i did not okay. many of them because they were did, expensive all right did you have like uh, uh, any of the playsets i had the hoth playset okay you know what i played it Hoth. Right. Yeah, but did you ever... I mean, how many times did you recreate scenes from the movie? Like, almost never? Well, I only, that was tough without, it was tough without having an ad-at an yeah, to, to that was complete expensive. the Hoth scene, right? Or a snowspeeder. 
My parents you know what, would have had to mortgage the sell one of my brothers for science so that yeah. I could get a snowspeeder toy. My friend Carolyn and I used to play with the Star Wars figures, and it was like improv class. We never once <laughs> did any kind of Star Wars esque storyline. It was all high comedy and like almost like sitcom level stuff. I used to wad it up sock to be the Wampa. <laughs> all right. And sometimes right. I worked in the Buck Rogers toys that I got because they were way less expensive. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the celebrity birthdays. February the 6th, 1914, a man whose name is impossible for Mike Tyson to say with a straight face, Thurl Ravenscroft. And who might Thurl's Ravenscroft be? Uh, well, he it sounds like the villain of a, a Agatha Christie mystery. Right? Yeah, and he's, that's a very majestic name. Uh, you don't know the name, but trust me, trust me, you know the voice. He is the guy that did the You're Great uh, for Tony the Tiger for many, many oh. years. Um, if you've ever been to Disney World and rode the uh, Haunted Mansion ride, he is the narrator. And he also is the uh, singer of the You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. You know, one of, your, right. yes. one of your favorite Christmas songs ever. Yes. Yeah, I remember. Okay, so yep. that's how I know that guy's name. Or yep. voice, at least. As soon as you said those things, I could hear his voice in my head, so that's really strange. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Thurl Wavencroft, happy birthday to you. Moving on. February 7th, 1819. A man named Joshua Abraham Norton. For <laughs> those of you who've been listening to this podcast for the last three years, you'll know that name as Emperor Norton, first self-proclaimed emperor of the United States, Friend of Mexico and protector of Canada. The man who declared himself emperor in the 1800s in San Francisco issued edicts and his own currency that local businesses took sent letters abolishing Congress to Congress. He was at what we like to describe as completely rock insane, but he's a great character to, to think about. And he had a lot of people who definitely <laughs> supported his mental illness <laughs> and helped him. To live the life of the first emperor of the United States. And all things being equal, I can't imagine that it would be worse than, than that. In 2023, he would have his own segment on Newsmax, I'm sure. Uh, I don't even know if it would be on Newsmax. He, I think he went the other way. He was way more on the... All right, fine. He'd be a re returning guest on the Rachel Maddow show. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly... They'd probably cut to him. Cut to Emperor Norton. He'd be like, hello, everyone. Hello, citizens. <laughs> but... I have just made a new $51.86 bill with my picture on it. <laughs> All right, moving on to February the 8th, 1968. Uh, diminutive actor Gary Coleman. Uh, probably ah. best known for... <laughs> Postal 2. <laughs> Wait, was he? Yeah. Oh, no. He was in Postal 2? Yeah, he was in the video game of Postal 2. That's even better. Yes. All right. Gary Coleman, probably uh, best known for his Guest work. starring on Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, once. <laughs> I'm sure he was on a few episodes of The Love Boat, too. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he was Arnold on the television show Different Strokes uh, from 1978 indeed. to 1986. Most famous for his catchphrase, what you talking about, Willis? And Willis, we learned later, was talking about drugs. <laughs> and gang violence. <laughs> and All gang right. violence. Yeah, Gary Coleman... I guess uh, his, him and his parents weren't very good with the money that they generated in the eight years that he was doing television for. He later got a job working as a security guard in a mall, which at four foot eight must have been something to look at. I think I heard he was also like selling used cars at one point too. 
Yeah. He did his own voice. I mean, they made fun of him on The Simpsons, but he still did his own voice as himself. Oh, yeah. As a security guard at the, the like, the Furby factory. <laughs> Do you remember that? He's, no. He was on the phone, and he was, like, he was complaining about this Chinese food that he got. He's like, it says a, a banquet of prawns. There's only two prawns in here. That's not a banquet. And then Lisa goes, his phone isn't connected to anything. <laughs> oh, I'm, oh, I'm glad he had a, a sense of humor about it. Not like uh, yes. some other celebrities that take themselves way too seriously. <clears throat> yes. Corey Feldman. All right, uh, moving on. February 9th, 1942, songwriter and singer Carol King. Who hey, I just got her, about her. Yes. Well, who got I her, just who, alluded to her. You did. Who got her start in Tin Pan Alley, writing songs uh, the same way that Neil Diamond did, mm-hmm. and selling them off to other artists. My favorite Monkey song is a song she wrote, Pleasant Valley Sunday. Oh, wow. My, uh, you know, my, yeah, my band, Too Many Gens, uh, the very first show we played, we covered that song. I've actually listened to her demo of it on piano, and it's really it's really good. Oh, wow. Um, that uh, yeah, song really, that I really mentioned good. before, Porpoise Song, she co-wrote that as well. She did. And then she she broke off and she had her own career that it, the boom of singer-songwriters was like 1972 to 1975 or so. Yeah, very and early she, 70s. She, she had that song, It's she, Too Late. Yep, It's Too Late. And a couple of others as well. Yep. Uh, and then went off and started to do kids' records. I know she was recording a lot of the Maurice Sendak stuff, like Chicken Soup with Rice and, and other things that are still staples in like young, young kids' musical libraries. Oh. Uh, moving on to the 10th, also a staple in young kids' music libraries. Um, <laughs> February the 10th of 1962, the original bass player, foundational member of Metallica, Cliff Burton. Some say Metallica died when Cliff Burton did. I'm yes. one of those people. Yeah, you can, you could definitely make that argument. I've uh, We established before that neither one of us were ever really big Metallica fans. Nah, no, um, not really. But there's a definite paradigm shift when Cliff Burton left, for sure. Cliff well, they Burton- stopped recording bass, the bass track on their records. <laughs> That's, <laughs> the starters, yeah. That's a big change. You might as well not have the guy. You can make the argument that Cliff Burton is the reason that the Misfits are famous. Because okay. he was a yeah, he was a big fan of the Misfits, and he used to wear their T-shirts on stage and stuff. And he turned everybody in the band onto them. And then there was an album that they did... Uh, well, an EP called Garage Days Re-Revisited, and there was all the songs that used to play as covers, and there was two Misfit right. songs on there. And for a lot of people, not everybody, I'm sure there's some people I knew about it before, but for Last a lot caress, of people, right? me included, yeah, the first introduction to Misfits were was by way of Metallica. With, yeah, um, but Last Caress. Last Caress and Green Hell, yeah. Yeah. And the rest is Misfit history, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. All right, moving on to the 11th. Uh, another misfit, February 11th, 1938, a man named Bobby Pickett, who did such a good Boris Karloff voice. His nickname was Boris, so it was Bobby Boris Pickett. And he's most famous for recording the Monster Mash and having it go to number one with a 12-year span in between. Right. Uh, actually, the misfits covered the Monster Mash. Ain't that something? That doesn't surprise me. Does not surprise me at all. They have a type. Bobby Pickett used to perform at Spooky World all the time, like every year. They'd bring him in, prop yep. him up, and he'd sing the Monster Mash, and then he'd come back a couple hours later and sing the Monster Mash again. <laughs> hey, you know what? You do what you're good at. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, re- I know the story about him was that uh, the second time that the song went to number one, he was driving, he was like, a, he was a taxi driver in New York City. 
yep. for Chicago. And he heard it on the radio that it had gone number one again. And he's like, I, th- I think I'm going to get some money out of this. <laughs> Ultimately did. There's a lot of like Monster Mash sequels. There's a yes. Monster Mash rap. And there's a few other, re- they're all really bad. I mean, poor Boris. Yeah, that Monster Mash, it's still, you know, it's it's a Halloween classic. There's no getting around it. I, I remember dancing around and singing to that song, dancing around to that song and singing along with it when I was a little, little, little kid. Mm-hmm. And have always looked forward to it showing up on the radio as we got closer and closer to Halloween. And I think I've said before that the very first record I ever owned was the Monster Mash. So Yes. So there. All right, and then wrapping up the birthdays, a girl who's done some monster mashing of her own, I guess you could say. February the 12th, 1980, the very beautiful and lovely Christina Ricci. Probably Uh, best known for that weird kidnapping movie that she did with Samuel Jackson that I can't think of the name of. Black Snake Moan. That's it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She was fantastic as the girlfriend of the Eileen Warnos character in Monster. That's probably the best work she's ever done. That yes. was so fantastic. Yeah, and well, I like her in I like her in everything I've ever seen her in. Yeah. So let's yeah let's back out and say Christina Ritchie probably best known for playing Wednesday Adams in the Adams Family movies during the uh, was it ni- that was the nineteen nineties yeah 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 that was the nineties yeah you could see even though she was a very young girl at the time you could see like that girl is gonna grow up to be beautiful and she certainly did she's a beautiful woman she's in the show Wednesday now. Yeah, that's on. Uh, I don't know what streaming service it's on. Netflix. I don't pay attention to that anymore. Okay, so I know that she's got a part on that show. Mm-hmm. I saw her play in a Netflix. It was a movie, but then they kind of like stretched it out to be more of a series where she played Lizzie Borden. That's yeah, that's right. I remember that when that came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's yes. uh, she's done a lot. She's done quite a bit. Not always typecasting either. Not always like didn't get pigeonholed until what like what could have been. You know. Yeah, I like that she, as soon as she stopped doing like sort of kids roles, because she did, did a lot of those like around and after the Adams Family and Adams Family Values. Yeah, well, she was, was still like a her, little kid. She did that was house like, movie, right? Yes. It was like her first film was, was this weird indie movie called Buffalo 66. Yep. I think she was 18 when she made it, and it was great. She was great in that. Right, that darn cat or something. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember which one. And the often lo- overlooked sequel, that fucking moose. No, 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 no. <laughs> Goddamn gerbils. <laughs> or that other movie that she did that was based on. The worst song ever. Uh, Jeff, when we were talking about Ken and Barbie before, <laughs> I said that I felt stupider for having talked about it. And that is saying something because this afternoon, oh my goodness. I, I I don't even have the words for uh, for how dumb I feel now. Yeah, uh, this was and, your pick. This is your pick. Yep. This is all your fault. So go ahead. go ahead. It's all my fault. Admittedly, you know, generally I'm the guy that doesn't pick too much on pop music because I like pop music. But there's some pop music that I just I it it's just like so aggressively stupid, and <laughs> it's not funny. It's not even like ironically stupid. It's just stupid, stupid. Right. And that brings us to today's pick, which is the execrable song, My Humps, by the Black Eyed Peas. What you gonna do with all that junk, all that junk inside your trunk? I'ma get, 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 get you drunk, get you love drunk off my hump. My hump, 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 my lovely little lumps. 
Check it out. I drive these brothers crazy. I do it on the daily. They treat me really nicely. They buy me all these ices. Dolce and Gabbana. Fendi and That song feels like it lasts a month. And it's like three minutes and 48 seconds long. Oh, no, it, it is, is the not. longest you, song. You must have found a, like... Uh, club mix or single mix or or whatever, right? Because I listened to this song today on Spotify. I'm looking at the lyrics before I started listening, and I was like, you know, there's a place, there's a time and a place for you know silly pop songs, and, and you sure, know, and and the dance club is where this song is meant to be played, you know. Yes. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you're probably not going to want the lyrics to Pink Floyd's "Time" in a song True. like this, you know. Yeah. No, I agree. So, but then I'm looking at the the length of the song, and on the album, this song is like six minutes long. It's like, oh my god, is this time by Pink Floyd? Why is this song so long? <laughs> I got younger listening to that song. That's how long that song went on. <laughs> the story of the song is she's got tits and ass. Yes. All right, and we're done here. Yes, she does. Next. <laughs> Next track. Well, please. it's 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 not subtle. It's like there are songs that can pull off this kind of ridiculousness, and mm-hmm. it's subtle and clever and funny. And this one just isn't. No, it just isn't. It's Fergie saying like, "I use my ass to get you to buy me things," yep. and that's it. That's really the whole thing. And with that, don't work. My boobies work. Yeah. Right. Yes. And you want to buy me things because I might let you touch my boobies. And then if you touch my boobies, I'm going to be mad at you. That's the end of the song. That being said, though, Jeff, like I do, I go in the back and I listen to, you know, more than just the song. I listen to the rest of the album. I had this album, which is called Monkey Business, you know, playing in the background while I was, you know, making supper and stuff. And I actually kept forgetting that the album was on because it's not bad. No, it's it's not. It's not at all. (laughs) I didn't think I would enjoy it at all. I was like begrudgingly putting it on, but it's yeah. it's okay. Yeah, it's it's okay until you get to my humps. And my yeah. humps is like the worst track on there. It's the worst track they've ever recorded. Easily, yeah, easily. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not a huge fan of the the singles that I've heard from them. And my knowledge of Black Eyed Peas starts with my humps and ends with Let's Get It Started. I literally right. don't know anything else. Right. Yeah, again, I'm not a super fan or anything either. Yeah. It it sort of falls out of my pop music milieu because the sort of pop hip-hop doesn't get played on the stations that I listen to very often. Okay. It does get played on the stations that I listen to very often. The song they play is my hopes. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, so, which is sad because yeah. Let's Get It Started is it's not a great piece of music, but it's way better than this. And it would be nice if that got some love. It, it's a good club song. It fits in the club, yeah. yeah. Now, whenever I was reading up about uh, Black Eyed Peas, I had found out that they had started off as like a quote-unquote alternative hip-hop band in the right. 90s. And that got my ears going because I like 1980s hip-hop and dance tracks. I like the beats that came out of the, uh, the 90s. And right. I listened to their first album called Behind the Front which is before Fergie came on board. Right. So it's just Will I Am to other rapper guys. It's fine. It's fine. That's the kind of like stuff from the 90s that I like, you know? Right. Yes. And they put out a couple of albums like that. On the third album is when Fergie joined. I don't want to say that they sold out. They tra- they changed their sound. They got really right. a lot more poppy, a lot more silly, a lot less mm-hmm. serious. 
I can't say that they sold out because I think you kind of have to make money before you sell out. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like, this is a, like, isn't that why we do anything? Yeah. If I could, if I could work less hard and make more money, don't you think that's what I would do? If it would yeah. be going like, you know, my humps, my humps, my humps, my lovely McLarge humps, <laughs> you know, and people would pay me for that, and I didn't have to work as hard, I would totally lean into that. Why wouldn't I? Why that's what my anybody? brother's gonna do you now know? that he's retired. Right. <laughs> my brother's gonna pick up a pop career. My humps. My humps. <laughs> uh, now, whenever Fergie came on board, I always get a little confused because Fergie, to me, doesn't. To me, she doesn't look like a, a rock star. To me, yeah. Well, for starters, she looks like Christine Johnson from Third Rock from the Sun, like a real lot. <laughs> like it yeah. really confused me when she first came on board, and. Two, she does look like a sitcom star because she was a sitcom star. Do you remember a kid's show called Kids Incorporated? I do. Yeah, she was on that show. Really? Wow. Yeah, she was a part of Kids Incorporated, yeah. Well, I mean, that that sort of tracks, you know, if you think about how pop music in the early 2000s sort of rolled, it was either you came from something like that or you came from Nickelodeon or you came from Disney. Yeah, Mickey Mouse Club, you know? a lot of people like Justin Timberlake, uh, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, they were all Mickey Mouse Club people. I will I will say that as I was listening to My Humps, <laughs> I kept thinking about how much better Britney Spears' pop music was right around this time. Mm-hmm. Toxic, I think, came out in 2002 and is a way better song than this. And they share a lot of similarities in tone and style and... And, and even thematically, but hers is just, it's leagues better. It's yeah. far less stupid. Well, that's because there's more lyrics to it. This song has roughly 10 or 11 different words in it. Right. Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> yes, Toxic has more than 10 words in it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, could, yeah. I could translate this song into, into Japanese, no problem. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the legacy of this song, though, is like, if you listen to things that are more recent, Yep. Not that I'm telling you that you should or anything, but if you listen to like Bodak Yellow by uh, Cardi B off of her first record, thematically it's very similar. It's like, I know you want me and you'll buy me stuff because I'm like awesome. While that song is also like aggressively stupid and off-putting, it still has that sort of weird air of girl power, but I don't understand where it comes from. And it has more it, than 10 lyrics to it. <laughs> it does have more than 10 lyrics to it. At least it's got that going for it. But, yeah. you know, it seems to be a recurring theme with pop songs or pop rap songs that have, like, strong female front people. Yeah. Whether it's Fergie or Cardi B or Megan Thee Stallion or, or whoever. Is it that sort of – it doesn't fall into the same tropes of, like, I don't know, love song or – sort of girl power type i can accomplish whatever it's mm. more like i know you want me so like you got to pay yep and they uh, all sort of are able to make that theme work i remember whenever the black eyed peas were the halftime performance at one of the super bowls and i just remember the internet lighting up the next day and they're like i'm really disappointed in the performance of the black eyed peas i'm like disappointed you had high expectations <laughs> for my humps, my humps, that but that put your that sets your your the bar really high for you. Right. This song, much like last week's worst song ever of uh J Lo's Jenny from the Block there, right. uh, this song insults me. There it's like they're calling me dumb. Like this is yeah. what I think of you. 
It, it definitely seems to show a lack of respect for the general intelligence of the listener. And, yeah. and I say that as someone who likes the rest of this record. Yeah. Like I said, I might go back and listen to more and really screw up my algorithm on Spotify. But there were some tracks on this album, particularly the opening track, Pump It, which starts, yeah. it starts well, one, that was a single. It's got a, a lot of hits on it. Uh, right. And I mean, I don't mean hits like a lot of hit songs. I mean, a lot of plays on Spotify. Yes. Uh, actually, more so than My Humps. Pump yeah, It was I a good song. It starts off with that Dick Dale surf guitar sample, yeah. so it had my I attention. Like, I like Boom Boom Pow and the other signal, the other single that was on this one, Don't Lie, which is a little bit more reggae-inspired and a lot of fun. You know what else lowers your intelligence? Cocktails! It does. All right, Jeff, straight shooter here. A straight, easy, uh, easy question with hopefully not a lot of exposition on your part. Uh, I, I do have is, clarifying questions. Oh, for fuck's sake. What is the most popular cocktail in the world? So, okay, so are we talking about the most popular cocktail in the world yes, this year? Yes, that's the question, Jeff. Nope, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. The clarifying question is this year? Because it changes every year. I went to Google and I said, what is the most popular cocktail in the world? And it didn't say this year. It just gave me a straight answer. I just gave you a straight answer. Okay, so I'm going to guess with the all-knowing Google then that the answer will be a martini. Oh, that is an excellent guess. And I thought your qualifying question was going to be which version because there are many different versions of martinis, gin martinis, vodka martinis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so there are different versions of the most popular drink in the world, the margarita, but the margarita is the most popular cocktail in the world. Blech. Too sweet. Blech. Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm I I can't say I like them because I'm not really a tequila fan. If I was going to yeah. drink anything, it's not going to be tequila. Tequila, you're going to hear the sentence. You can't arrest me. I took Taekwondo. <laughs> so tequila um, roughly translates to horrible decisions. Yes, exactly. I, yeah. I can probably take these two cops. That's what tequila <laughs> says to me. So. I'm not going to talk shit about any kind of cocktail because the none of none of them are my favorites. I'm not a drinker. So, all right. But that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We'll see you back here in about seven days. Drink up, guys. <laughs> Say goodnight, Jeff. Hey, goodnight, my humps. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. If you have friends, you should tell them about our show. And if you don't have friends, tell the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot. Cyrus. The guy's name is Cyrus.